This is the Hiking Through Life podcast. We've all been gifted a journey called life. Let's see where the journey leads us today. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast. I'm Andy. And I'm Sarah. And on today's journey, we talk with Ruth Wyckoff-Jones. She is someone who discovered hiking later on in life and kind of stumbled upon it because of a trip she went on with her son's Boy Scout troop. And it was really awesome to interview Ruth because it was a reminder that no matter your age, no matter your stage in life, you can get into hiking. There's really nothing that holds anyone back at any time. And I mean, she was kind of a reminder of that. And there is a place for everyone out there in the wilderness, no matter your age, race, gender. Yeah, so she was a really inspiring person to talk to about her journey. And we also talk about how she is a leader in the outdoors field through Woman Through Hike. She is a co-ambassador for Woman Through Hike. And she's very involved in planning hikes with that and leading groups of people. And She's also a big advocate for getting outdoors in general and continuing to learn. Um, she, she talks a little bit about that with her not only outdoor adventuring, but some of her career as well. Hearing that she's a big advocate for always picking up trash when out on the trails is really awesome too. And it's so easy for people to do. I've started doing it on walks way more often ever since I talked to her because it's just like, well, duh, why wouldn't you? So after listening to this podcast, go check out her blog, Ruth's Blue Marble. So sit back now and enjoy the podcast. Today we are joined on our podcast by Ruth Wyckoff-Jones, and we're really excited to have her on. Ruth has a large amount of experience in the outdoors. She's been involved in the Boy Scouts of America. She's done solo backpacking. She blogs on Ruth's Blue Marble, and she is also a co-ambassador of Women Who Hike in the Minnesota chapter. So we're super excited to have her on and share all of her knowledge about outdoors and life. So thank you so much for joining us today, Ruth. Hi, Sarah. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So Ruth, your blog kind of shares that like you got into backpacking later on in life. And it sounds like the big part that got you into backpacking is when you went on a Boy Scout trip in 2014. Yeah. Um, so I have one um, child, my son, who's now graduated and off at college. But in, um, I've actually been a scout leader since about 2008 when he got involved in scouting, um, it mostly kind of behind the scenes. And then um, when he got involved with Boy Scouts specifically, um, an opportunity came up for him to go to Philmont Boy Scout Ranch in New Mexico. It's it's considered, it's a high adventure camp, and it's considered like a pinnacle trip for a lot of scouts. Not every scout goes, um, and it's a really big deal. And they needed adult advisors. So um, my, my ex-husband and I kind of arm wrestled over who would get to go, and ultimately um, I was the one that uh, got to go along with him. And the prep for that 
um, which was about nine months, was really kind of my first introduction to hiking and backpacking. Um, when I was growing up, that out the outdoors were part of my life, but not in that way. Um, it was more like walks or in the park, and I wasn't real athletic, so it was a it was a total um, crazy thing to take on. Did you and, ever camp at all growing up? Um, no, um, I grew up in a family where we actually had a family member that had a physical disability that made it really hard to do that kind of stuff. Um, we did road trips and I'm a huge fan of road trips. So I just kind of thought, well, this would probably be like a road trip on your feet. You know, I had, I, in, in retrospect, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, we started, you know, we started training, we'd do five mile hikes and we worked up to 10 miles and we'd only hike maybe once a month. Um, and then, uh, about six months into it, we did a 47 mile section of the superior hiking trail in five days. And I think that was when I was really like, Whoa, I think I, I, um, I don't know what I'm really doing here. Um, but everybody was, it was great. The boys were great. And the two adult leaders that, um, I did the trip with were amazing. One of them, a gentleman, um, who is the current, um, scoutmaster of the troop, um, that I'm still involved with, uh, he had gone to Philmont, Philmont as a youth, and then he was going back as a adult. Um, so he had a lot of experience. And then there was another mom which was a, an interesting dynamic too, because usually it's it's dads and their sons. Um, there was another mom um, who was going as well. She had two sons that were going on the trip. And um, she had two years before that done a trip with scouts to Glacier National Park. So she had a little bit more experience as well. So I had those two to kind of help me find my way. Um, and as I you know, did more, um, I got more confident and, um, we ultimately ended up spending 10, it's a 12 day trek, but you spend 10 days in the back country in, at, at Philmont. And it, a good chunk of what we did was in, um, the Valle Vidal, which is in North, in the far North part of New Mexico, almost to the Colorado border. So in the mountains, um, you, you, hike for like three or four days with all of your gear, you get a food refresh, um, and then you go for another three or four days and you're pretty much on your own. There's camps where you do activities and everything. Um, but in the end, um, I put a hundred and I think it was 117 miles on my boots for a 67 mile trek. So it was crazy. It was crazy. And when we got back, um, there was actually a point early in the trip where we were standing on kind of the first ridge line that we were crossing. And I, um, I had this moment where I looked at my then 14 year old son and I'm like, I can't believe I have let my fear of doing things hold me back. And I'm not going to do that again because the view was amazing where we were standing. And I'm like, I want more of this. I want more of this all the time. So it, it changed how I thought about the outdoors. It changed how I thought about my abilities. It changed how I thought about hiking and backpacking. Um, and I fell in love. Yeah. And I mean, there's just so much I love about that story in itself, because like here you are getting into something leading a group of teenage boys on this trek 
And I mean, you've never done anything like that. So I mean, to lead a group of people when you've never done something, I think you wrote something on your blog. It was like, I learned perseverance when I was at Belmont to know you've taken something on that's totally out of your comfort zone. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the funny part was, is that really, um, when, when I say lead, um, our, our group, um, there's different ways to approach Belmont and every crew that goes does it a little bit differently. But our group really approached it from the perspective that we were, the adults were there as advisors. Our job was to make sure that nobody died. Nobody, nobody did anything that they were going to um, not, or be injured. Um, we had a joke that like the worst thing on your outdoor resume is to have last known location of your body. <laughs> um, so we didn't really do, like when it came to deciding um, our our path to get from one place to the next on the every day, who is going to lead um, the uh, wayfinding? That was with the the boys. They they were the ones doing it, and the three of us adults were just kind of along to make sure that everything went all right. If there were conflicts in personalities and that kind of stuff, which happens when you're in a group situation. Um, in backcountry hiking, there are group dynamics that start happening, and every group happens a little bit differently, but you will have points where the group starts breaking down, where there's infighting, um, that kind of stuff. And we had kind of gotten through that on our Superior Hiking Trail trip, so that when we got to Felmont, we were like a well-oiled machine. I mean, we just, everybody had their job, everybody knew what their job was, and it, it really it really made it... Um, a really great experience. The one thing I discovered coming off of that, um, the scouts had to hang a bear bag every day. I never learned how to do that. Um, the scouts had to put up, you know, like a rain fly and, um, they had, there were other tasks that they had to do navigation wise. I didn't learn how to do any of that. So I was just kind of along for the ride. Right. Um, which now I've spent a lot of time um, spent I've, I've spent a lot of time taking the time to try to learn some of those skills um, because now I spend quite a bit of time in the outdoors um, uh, solo. Um, I do the work that I do with women who hike. I do some some things with scouts, but really um, the things that I've done since then, the big adventures that I've had, have been solo, and. Um, I realized after that trip that I needed, there were some skills I didn't have and I still have them. I'm still working on my navigational skills. I'm still working on my knot tying um, because they're all skills that if you don't use, um, you lose them. So that's where leading some of these other groups is helpful is because then I get to practice them and I get to show people um, those skills. And in doing that, there's there's a, a method called the edge method in scouting. It's basically teaching. It's, it's the idea that you learn by teaching. You, you uh, watch it happen, you try it yourself, and then you teach someone else. And um, that's been huge for me in my own outdoor adventures now. Yeah, I mean, you're going to learn best when you're when you're doing it, of course. That's like a huge part of learning through hiking, backpacking, and through anything else, I think, too. But I, yeah, I just love how that kind of evolved for you through 
a Boy Scout troop. And I also love that you said there was only you and one other woman out there, which is so uncommon in the Boy Scouts. <laughs> oh, absolutely. We we actually had a situation towards the end of our trek. We were, um, so all of the, there are shower facilities at some of the camps and we were at our last camp and Cheryl and I decided to, um, to go um, do sh- get showers instead of doing shooting sports with boys. And we were waiting because all of the facilities are still really set up. They're getting better. And I know it's improved since I was there, but it was set up for men. So we were waiting outside the showers for our turn. And this gentleman came out, you know, came out and he's like, oh my gosh, you know, I feel really bad for you ladies because, you know, you had to come on this trip and I'm sure it was, you know, it was just really not something that you wanted to do. And it was this whole impression that somehow we'd been forced into it. And she and I looked at each other and we just kind of started laughing and we're like, no, we chose to do this. And we are so stoked to be here. I mean, it was, it was really, I was like, wow. So there's also that, um, I think there's still stigma around the, in some places around the idea that women would want to do this kind of stuff. And so that's the other thing that I, I really hope um, in my um, blogging and in my just being out there is that people see that um, it is definitely something that's not uh, a gender dominated activity and not an age dominated activity. I'm, I'll be honest, I feel sometimes um, really old on trail. I mean, when we did that trip, I was four, I was 47 years old. I'm 52 now. So, um, and I, you know, when you think about getting into hiking that late in your life, um, there's, I've still got a lot to learn and I don't, I, I'm seeing now, I'm more, I'm seeing more women now that are older hiking um but I also see a lot of women my age and older that are um I don't know they seem very reluctant because I think they're just afraid of all the things that are out there there's this perception that women aren't safe out in the wilderness and oh yeah that is something that like I totally want to break that down um I actually just listened to um a podcast um, interview with a woman who had um, actually been stalked. And she said the only place that she felt safe was in the outdoors away from people. Was that the grizzly who hikes one? Um, She explores this. I've been diving into that particular podcast and um, it's an interview with a woman. No, I want to say she was living in San Francisco and I, oh, I'm okay. sorry, I don't know. I don't know the details of it specifically, but she literally had a stalker and um, she was new to the area and she decided that she would start hiking because she felt like that way she could get away from him. And that's, it's interesting because I, I get that all the time. I get it from family. I get it from women, men, you know, about, a woman being in the outdoors by herself and I've had people tell me I need to take crab classes and all this other stuff. And I'm like, you know, I feel safer on trail than I do getting on the bus to go to work because there's just, it's really, it's a hard place to get to in the first place. So it's not like there's some bad person out there waiting for you. 
the odds of that happening are very slim because it's so hard to get to some of the places where people hike. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, and like going back to the whole age thing, I think that the more women see people, well, women and men, the more women and men see people who are older in their 50s like you, that's only going to motivate more people to get out on the trail. But yeah, there is probably reluctancy of people who are an older age because they've just never done it. They know nothing about it. But people like you who are blogging about it and putting such a positive perspective on this hobby and leading a group, I mean, the world needs people like you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good to hear. Um, I think so, too. Uh, I, I think... Um, you know, if I can inspire one person to make that choice, and, and it has been interesting um, as I've gotten involved with Women Who Hike, which I, that was a Christmas present to myself two years ago. I was like, okay, I know there's got to be hiking groups for women out there. And I did a little research, and at this, that time, I found Women Who Hike, and then I also discovered the 52 Hike Challenge. And getting involved with both of those was my Christmas present to myself. I had at that point in time too, I had um, done my Isle Royale um, solo backpacking trip. So um, I, I felt like I needed another challenge. And through women who hike, um, when I started, I was just a member that the local chapter was just getting started. Um, there were a couple of us that were super active And um, there was actually three of us that kind of always seemed to end up leading things. And then um, when we hit critical mass with the Facebook page where Nicole Brown, the founder, um, felt like it was time to to have a chapter and have ambassadors, um, I I debated about applying for it. And at the time, um, unfortunately, I had a family member that was uh, very ill and we knew was probably going to pass away. So I made a choice to not apply. Um, but I encouraged the other two to, yeah, I'm like, are you guys going to do it? And they're like, well, yeah, we, we did. Um, that ended up being Jen Tyson and um, Carrie, who she ultimately ended up going back to school and stepping down. And when she did, Jen called me and she's like, I want to do this with you. And I think you would be awesome. And I was flattered. So um, Jen and I talked with Nicole and we got set up and we've been going strong for just a little over a year as a team working on um, the official hikes and then being support to um, our Facebook page. Well, and to be an ambassador, I mean, you have to be be in such a leadership role. So I'm guessing that you all do also do like leadership roles in your professional life as well, or is a leadership just kind of a passion project of yours? Um, well, yeah, I I come from um, a family, I guess, of uh, the way I would put it is servant leadership, um, and so it's always kind of been there in my DNA. Um, my past jobs have always had some sort of leadership component to them. Um, I work, I work in the events, um, industry. Um, I worked doing nonprofit events for probably about 12 years. And then about 15 years ago, um, I decided to go on the corporate side of things. So I get to plan some 
some pretty epic trips for companies um, to reward their employees. And I've been able to go on some pretty epic trips as well um, to research for that. Um, yeah, but I my, saw through your blog, you got to like do some hikes internationally too when yeah. you were out working. Like what a cool yeah. perk. <laughs> yeah, well, last year I got to go to the tip of South Africa and I got to go to, to the tip of um, South America all in one year, like bucket list trips. Um, those, those trips, I mean, they sound really awesome. Like we went, um, I went to Patagonia and I, it was a four, five day trip. One day, it takes you one full day, almost a day and a half to get from Minnesota to Patagonia to Torres del Paine National Park. Cause in like three planes and a bus and a, it's, it's a long, it's a long trip. But my job is to go and take a look at hotels and venues that we would send our clients to and then participate in activities that they might do. Um, so that was a pretty epic trip. And I managed to um, beg the um, company that was hosting us to let me walk from the glacier, um, right, uh, the glacier trip that we did back to the hotel, which was so awesome. And they're like, well, you seem like you'd be able, I, like, there's the trail right there. I'm like pointing it out and everybody else is like, I don't see a trailer. I'm like, no, there's, there's the, there, uh, there's um, flagged and everything. So like they paint rocks orange on the ground, which is different from like here in Minnesota, you get the blue blazes there. It's orange blazes on, the, on rocks on the ground. I'm like, I'm, I'm totally fine. I will totally be able to find my way. So that was pretty awesome. And then in South Africa, I got to do some stuff too, but through that position that I have, back to your question about leadership, the um, position that I have is uh, part particularly unique in that my part of my job is helping to win new business for new clients. So it requires a different set of skills than just um, being able to find hotels and pick out venues and that kind of stuff. Um, and as I was getting into the industry, um, I got involved with an association called the International Live Events Association. Um, the acronym is ILEA. And through that, over the last, I think I've been a member 15 or 16 years, it's been a while. Well, yeah, I mean, your email has so many things written under it. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. Yeah. So um, when I was getting involved in the events industry, I didn't know anything really about it. I kind of fell into it by accident. And so I looked for, again, it was one of those, I'm like, okay, how do I learn about this? And so I got involved with the association. And over that span of time, I've served on, there's a local chapter here in Minnesota. I've served on the local chapter board of directors twice. Um, and I am on my um, first year of one committee, but I've served on uh, three international um, leadership committees for that association as well. And in all of them, all of these situations, be it that or women who hike or scouting, um, they've all been opportunities where not only is it something where there's an opportunity for me to share knowledge with people, it's also been an opportunity for me to gain knowledge. And every time I've approached one of those, it was always from the perspective of learning, what can I learn from this? And ultimately, apparently, people seem to think I have some leadership skills. So there you go. I'm, I'm pretty um, self-effacing about it. 
but I just, I feel like I get so much from it that I um, feel like it's really important to give back to it. Yeah. And I just think that's such a cool thing that you're doing in professional life and through this huge hobby. And yeah, like I said, your email and all of your different (laughs) titles are just crazy to me. It's awesome though. It's very, very ambitious. And I love too, that you see it as like, you're always learning something when you go to these events. And I think those are huge qualities of a leader. I love that. And I really do. I think um, I come from a background, like I said, I work in nonprofits and I worked a lot with volunteers um, during my time doing that work. And I always felt like um, volunteering was a great way to learn. Um, When I was doing the nonprofit work, I would volunteer and um, I, I got a lot of jobs that way. So as I've gotten involved in the outdoors community, again, it's that whole idea of volunteering. I um, volunteer every year as part of National Public Lands Day um, with the National Park Service and um, Mississippi Connection to do projects. And most of the projects, fortunately, have been not far from my home. I, I live fairly close to Fort Snelling and Coldwater Spring and Minnehaha Falls. So Uh, Those are kind of my home parks, and a lot of the um, work I've done is there. Um, But now I'm also um, thinking about ways that I can maybe do trail crew somewhere and and do some a little more significant work um, for trails that are used or that are used by everyone, but specifically by hikers and backpackers. And we've, yeah. got, we've got a wealth of that here in, in Minnesota. We've got a ton of, of opportunities for that with all the trails that we have that go through the state. Well, and as being ambassador for women who hike, does is like picking up trash or anything ever part of the women who hike group? Oh, yes, definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we, Jen and I are, kind of, it's funny, we've talked about it. Like if we schedule a trail cleanup, um, on most of the national cleanup days, we are going to have a snowstorm. Like almost every time we've scheduled something, um, the days that we've scheduled it have been most national um, efforts like that, which Women Who Hike participates in, are usually in the early spring, like March, April, and then like September, October. And that can be a challenge. Like we scheduled a hike last March at... Um, Maplewood State Park, which, oh my gosh, if you've never been, it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, We scheduled a a cleanup hike in April and it was the last, that Friday, the, like the worst snowstorm that we had of the whole winter came through, if I remember right. Like we, it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Like Jen and I are on the phone, like, are we going to drive out there? Are we going to go? Because we had gotten a, a camper cabin the night before and we couldn't do our cleanup hike because um, it was snowing. But then in the fall, we did another one, and um, that was hugely successful. We did it at Minnehaha Falls, and we um, pulled out about 132 pounds of garbage in about three hours um, with a group there. And then for me personally, I have uh, I've made it a commitment to myself that I always carry um, what this, this gal, Brittany, is um, doing a project called um, The 11th Essential, and she's actually working on um, getting nonprofit status for it. 
Um, but she, uh, that idea of that 11th essential being something to collect garbage in. Now I've got a fancy Deuter dirt bag that I got from the Leave No Trace Center for Outdoor Ethics, but it could be a bread bag. It could be an empty um, shopping bag. Just having something along to be able to pick up garbage. And it's it's really interesting to watch the reaction of people as you're doing it. Like, I don't even, I used to be kind of self-conscious about it. Now I'm like, whatever, I'm just going to pick up garbage whenever I'm out. Yeah. I mean, it's our earth. We should be taking care of it. So the right. fact that people are kind of looking at you like you're crazy is like, well, no, I'm actually, I'm helping our planet. So you're going to live longer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and don't you really kind of want to be out here and not see like empty beer cans and snack wrappers um, there, you know, I mean, it's just, it's also about that for me, it's the cleaning up the garbage, keeping our planet healthy, and then also letting other people have the same kind of experience in the outdoors that is this wonder and awe of nature. And when it, when I find garbage, it makes me feel like um, it's a place that's too accessible. Like it's not, like it's not, um, I don't know, it's not far enough away from civilization, if that's the, the case. And many places aren't really that far from civilization, you know, that are remote. Like when I think about the Superior Hiking Trail, you can get on and off the Superior Hiking Trail at so many places. Like it's it's so easy to get back to civilization, really. Yeah. Um, but when you're on trail, to have that sense that you're away from civilization and that you're in this place that is truly wild um, is really important to me and I think it's really important um, to all of us that spend time on the trail and to be able to have that sense of wonder and to share that with somebody or to leave it that way I can't imagine doing anything else it, it just and it blows my mind the stuff that people leave behind in the woods it's it's just crazy I know I'm always just shocked when I see clothes left behind <laughs> oh yeah oh you should come on a cleanup hike over at Minnehaha Falls I guarantee you there will be clothes every single time we found like what was it the last time we found somebody's um like Jimmy Choo shoes like who has Jimmy Choo shoes that first of all they can afford to just dump in you know, the woods and who goes to Benihaha Falls down on the trail in Jimmy Choo's. This is crazy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's nuts. So back to like the whole woman who hikes. So how, um, how do people get involved in that? Do you have to be a member in order to come to these hikes? How does that work? This is like my favorite thing ever. So women who hike is a, um, actually becoming an international organization. You can find out more on womenwhohike.com. That's the main website. Um, and then you can also join um, any of the Women Who Hike Facebook pages. Um, you do need to request to join because they're closed groups and we do limit it to um, individuals who identify as women. And, and we do actually kind of do a little profile search. Um, you can be on the Facebook pages without being a member of Women Who Hike. Um, 
being a member of Women Who Hike gets you uh, a little series of extra benefits. Um, you get um, access to uh, specially planned hikes that we do all over the country. So there are ambassadors in every state and they plan um, they plan about four to six hikes annually that are um, exclusive to Women Who Hike members. Um, some of them have included backpacking in the Sierras. We've had um, hiking at Arches National Park, um, sections of the um, AT. Um, like I said, Jen and I have done a couple that are, are have been a little bit um, more special. Um, we typically limit them, limit the number of people that can attend, so that we make sure we're following LNT practices. Um, and sometimes we'll have swag. Um, some of the hikes, like Merrill will bring um, boots to test out, or like when we did our cleanup hike last year at, at um, Maplewood, we were able to get Deuter dirt bags for everybody that attended. Um, so it, it just really kind of depends. But along with that, you also get an awesome Women Who Hike sticker that you can put wherever you want, and a Women Who Hike patch. And it's really inexpensive. It's a lifetime membership for $16, which is, I mean, like, who can't, there's not many people that can't afford that. And then um, with the Facebook pages, we do, um, our members on the Facebook pages can do meetup hikes whenever they want. So I think we've got just about 2,500 members in the Minnesota chapter um, Facebook group. On any given day, there will be three or four ladies that will do a shout out and say, hey, anybody want to go for a hike today or this weekend? And they set up a hike and um, anybody that wants to go can go. And it's been really great, especially in a state as big as we are, because we have some members that are up, you know, Duluth and the North Shore. We've got some that are out in northwestern Minnesota, some in southern Minnesota. So it's it's a way for those ladies to connect in a very safe environment. Um, they can post about where they're going and who they're going to meet up with and know that it's not going to be public, which allows for us to also have safety in that. And Jen and I have been known to drive pretty far for some hikes to meet up with ladies. I think, I think the farthest I've ever driven was at like three hours for a meetup hike. Wow, and that's one that was just like posted out on Facebook. Yeah, somebody posted it out on the Facebook page and said, "Hey, you know," I, and I don't remember where it was, but I was like, "That's a state park I haven't been to. Rock on! I think I can get myself there." And I've even been known to like, even if it's a distance, um, like I'll book a campsite at the state park the night before and drive so that like the next morning I'm ready to go because I'm I'm not really a morning person. So it's better if I'm like right there. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. And in the winter, a lot of the ladies um, snowshoe um, if the conditions are good. But we've got ladies that will go out and hike too. Um, this last weekend, one of the gals wanted to try out a park, um, one of the county parks uh, west of, of the cities. And um, she put out a note. And it ended up just being the two of us that went, um, but she set up an event and, and set a time and a place. And we met and we had, we hiked for like three hours. I had my snowshoes on and she didn't, but we were able to, you know, just hang out and it's great. It's just opportunity to, to get out there 
and the conversations that we have are just awesome. I mean, it's everything from our concerns and our worries to sharing our our joys and our um, excitement about things. And it's it's just such a great way to support each other and getting out there. Well, I think that's super cool too, because it's like, you also think about it, you're hiking with a total stranger that you've never met yet. By the end of your hike, you guys are like best friends. And I've experienced that out in the woods too. And I think that's so right. magical that there's like this social media group out there to do that for women only. Right. Well, and even, even cooler. And I am like, I, when I'm on trail with our ladies here in Minnesota, I like scream it from the, the rooftops practically. Um, two years ago, right after I joined women who hike, um, I had a business trip out to Denver and I was like, Oh, I'm going to Denver. I've never hiked in Colorado before, but like, I don't know where to go and I won't have a car. So I joined the women who hike Facebook group in Colorado met up with this gal Renee who is was just amazing she didn't even live in Denver she drove into Denver she picked me up and we went for a hike and it was really cute because when she picked me up she's like oh my god I have to tell you I have like so much anxiety around this because like this is my first hike with somebody from the group and you know I'm really nervous and I'm looking at her going like okay your first hike is with a total stranger not only a total stranger, but a total stranger from another state. So I was like, you know what? We're just going to agree that if either one of us is, gets like feels uncomfortable, you speak up and like you can drop me on the side of the road and I'll be fine, <laughs> you know, but it was awesome. And since then, um, I have hooked up with um, a couple ladies in Indiana because I've been going back and forth in, to Indiana. My son's going to school there. Um, and I now have Ann and Hannah, who are my hiking buddies in, in Indiana. Um, so it's it's really, that part of it is really cool, too. And I, um, I'm not exactly sure where it, like, really clicked with me um, about that that idea of being able to travel and have somebody where you're going, at least in the U.S. And then all the resources that we share, like favorite hiking trails and gear and um, how people hike and what kind of pace and safety and equipment. I mean, it's, it's just, it's really cool to see what everybody shares. And I learned something from all the groups. I'm, I'm also, um, hooked up with the Wisconsin, Illinois, like I've got, you know, kind of growing my, my, um, my group. And then obviously the ambassadors, we have a, we have our own group as well too. So it's just, it's fantastic to have that resource and know that they're there. So like I, I tell everybody, I'm like, oh my gosh, if somebody starts talking about their traveling to another state, I'm like, you've got to sign up for the, for the women who hike Facebook group there. You've got to well, do it. Yeah, totally. It's such an amazing resource. And for those people who don't want to go out and hike alone, like this is your answer 100%. Right. But right. so speaking of going alone, um, it's you have done lots of solo trips. Yeah. Do you prefer to do solo trips or do you prefer to go out with other people? Oh, that's a tough one. Because um, I, I think, you know, I've been um, blogging about my Isle Royale trip back in 2017 that I yeah did. well and uh, even in that one you um you talk about how oftentimes you're you run into people and those people just lift your spirits 
So to me, it sounds like you still need those human connections, but you still like that being alone piece. I tend to be a little bit of a loner. Like even when I go out on our group hikes, I will, I will, um, definitely engage with people. Um, I try to make sure that if we've got new people on the hike that I'm making sure that I connect with them. But ultimately, um, I would say I've, I've always had a little bit of social anxiety. So it's really pushing myself to do that myself. Um, but then, you know, the idea of solo hiking, I, I, the thing I like about it, and it's not for everyone, um, but I'm okay with being with my own thoughts and I find it really, um, it's been a really good place for me, um, especially in like the last three or four years. Um, like I said, I, um, I had a family member that had, uh, we knew was declining and, and it was over that time frame. We knew this person was going to be passing away and that was part of my, um, way of processing what was happening, what, what I knew was coming, um, was that time out on trail. Um, there was something about the movement and, um, just being out in nature and the ability for me to just really think about what was happening in my life, um, helped me to deal with what that, with that, um, and I didn't have to like explain it to anybody. I could just deal with it. Um, so yeah, I would say solo hiking is, is definitely something that I enjoy. Um, the Isle Royale trip, uh, was that your very first solo trip after you went on the Boy Scout trip? It was. And the funny thing is, is I, um, I decided on that trip. So my son and I went to Philmont in 2015 and in 2017, he had an opportunity to go back. And because I had gone the first time, his dad wanted to go with him the second time. And I was like, I'm totally down with that. Totally cool. (laughs) Um, But then I was like, but I want to do some kind of epic trip again. (laughs) So he and I were literally on trail in two different states at the same time. And like at that point in time, um, we had like, we had some pretty hard conversations. Like if something happens to either one of us, like what we were going to do. Um, but, uh, part of the reason why I did Isle Royale is because a, I knew there were no bears, so I wasn't going to have to deal with bears and I knew it was contained and I was, I knew the terrain would be similar to the Superior Hiking Trail in the North Shore. So I had, it was like, I had this control experiment for what that experiment, what that experience would be like. And ultimately, I think in the end, and I'm not quite at the end of that, I don't want to give all of it away, um, but I think at the end, um, I came to appreciate both um, people and the time to myself as well. The thing I like about going by myself is like, I get to choose when I stop, I get to choose how fast I go. Um, you know, I can just kind of do my own thing. Um, but I also know you can find people that you get into that groove with and you can have that kind of experience with. And I, I've definitely had that on trips. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just a little bit different 
how you approach things, um, I think also where you're at in any given moment in time. So as I'm looking forward to my next, what I'm, what I would call my big adventure, I've, I've also, um, I think, you know, I've been working on um, hiking in all of the Minnesota state parks. Yeah. And that's with your 52 state park, 52 hike challenge, right? Well, okay, so there's two things. The 52 hike challenge was my way to make sure after I did my Isle Royale trip that I was out hiking every week. And that's what the 52 hike challenge is about. I mean, it's really about people making the commitment to get outdoors once a week and hike somewhere. And the cool thing is, is you get to define what it is. You get to define how you choose to do your hike, where you do it, and all that kind of thing. So I I have some basic guidelines like, you know, I, I want to hike um, a minimum of two miles. I prefer it be on dirt. Um, I try to go somewhere that I haven't gone before, um, but that's not always the case. And ultimately, it's about getting out. Um, and as I started doing that and started visiting state parks as part of that, I started realizing, I'm like, there's, there, um, I think it's 63 hikeable state parks in Minnesota, which is insane. Most, most states don't have that many. And there's all kinds of ways you can do it. There's the hiking club and the passport club, which are run through the um, Minnesota DNR, which I'm not really participating in. Um, scouting got me hooked on patches, <laughs> which is kind of like, it's kind of goofy, but that's my thing. So I am collecting the state park patches. So it doesn't really matter to me about the hiking club and the hiking club. There's, you get rewards and you can earn camping nights and you get patches there too. But really this is just my personal um, goal to do that. So last year um, to try to expedite my efforts, because I have a couple other long-term goals, hiking goals, um, I decided to take a week and I went for the farthest um, away state parks that I could possibly uh, get to. So that is pretty much the northwest corner of the state. Um, I spend time every fall up on the North Shore um, along Lake Superior. So I've hiked in every state park, most of them twice. so I needed, I knew I needed to head northwest and I knew that was a long drive. So I planned a week long road trip. And this was um, solo? Solo. Yep. Yep. Um, and I stayed in the state parks, but I drove up, I started at Bearhead Lake State Park, um, drove up there. It was about, uh, about two and a half, three hour drive up there. I made a couple stops on the way and then um, camped there. Uh, hiked and camped there and then every day I would get up I would drive to the next state park I'd hike have lunch drive to the next state park because most people don't know this is a little known fact about Minnesota state parks almost every single one of them is within an hour drive of the of another one Oh, yeah. I mean, I totally believe. Yeah, for sure. So with that yeah. many state parks, so it's so easy to get to them. Yep. So I just kept going like every day I would get up, I would pack up camp, I drive to the next park, I'd hike um, and I chose to, to do the hiking club trails um, on most of them. And I did that every day for seven days and I ended up hiking in 15 state parks in that seven days. Um, the original plan was to do two a day and I managed to squeeze in an extra one. 
my only bummer is I when I squeezed in the extra one, I missed another one that now I've got to go back for. <laughs> and it's kind of like out of the way. Um, so then this summer I'm going to do um, southwestern Minnesota. So I have another section of the state and then I'll have central western Minnesota and then I will have them all done. That's awesome. So, yeah. The, yeah, western part. I learned a whole other, or the um, southern part. I learned a whole other love for the southern part when I visited some of those state parks. Oh, yeah. I just have this, like, preconceived view that it's all very flat, but, like, I actually found out very differently. <laughs> no, actually, that's northwest Minnesota, which was, like, I don't, again, don't want to be spoiler alert for people, but northwestern Minnesota, um, as you had... Um, west of uh, the Boundary Waters and Voyager, it is farmland. It's flat farmland. Um, so that was really interesting. But one of my favorite state parks up there um, ended up being Old Mill State Park, which is a really small one. It's right in the middle of farmland. Um, but it's just the sweetest little, and I'm, I'm bummed I didn't camp there. It's just the sweetest little park. And it has... Um, five conservation core buildings or I'm just going to say structures um, that are super unique. Um, the state has two suspension bridges. Um, one of them is at Jay Cook State Park. It's a long one. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. Um, the other one is at Old Mill and it's just this short little, but they look almost like they're identical, just different scale, which is so cool. And then there's all these oh. towers. So I'm like, I'm totally into that too. And I've totally come to a different appreciation of the work that the Conservation Corps did um, in developing not just the Minnesota State Parks, but National Parks. I mean, the, that effort um, gave us a lot of the public lands that we all get to enjoy today. And to have so many of those um, places here in the state is really cool. And they're all so unique. Every park is is got its own special thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they totally do. And that's what I love about, like, just having your own little challenges. You, like, get excited about going to them and yeah. checking them off. And it's a yeah. good reason to go explore more. Yeah. Oh, I could go on for, for days about each other. And the other one that was – the other one that's really cool, I think – and I had, I didn't understand, you know, getting that idea of the terrain of Minnesota. Um, there's a 500 square mile bog in the middle of the northwestern part of the state. Hmm. And there's a, um, uh, it's called Big Bog State Park. And you, there's a trail, it is the hiking club trail that goes a mile out into the bog. And I remember when I was doing that, they're like, you could see moose out here and all that kind of stuff. And I'm on the trail and I'm like, I am a mile out in the middle of a bog. What do I do if a moose comes across the boardwalk? I don't know what to do. What do I, what do I hide behind? <laughs> There's nothing to hide behind. Yeah. So, but it was amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So I, I just, it's, there's so much of it that's really cool. So the other thing that about getting into hiking that has been um, a really fantastic I guess benefit is I, it's got me thinking a lot about um, the impact we have as humans on our environment and, um, and what I can do um, 
and then also the history of our of our lands and really got a lot I'm contemplating around that you know it's just it's been very interesting experience yeah I think the history of our lands is a huge piece of it too and I started thinking about that more too because um yeah every, every time you go out there is always like a little historical note about like state parks and stuff and it's just like everything that's formed our parks is so relevant and sometimes we don't always think about that stuff Right. And a lot of there. them, a lot of the, a lot of the lands are donated, you know, going, taking this, this part of it back to that experience at Philmont. Philmont mm-hmm. exists because Wade Phillips, who was part of the Phillips oil family, donated um, 50,000 acres of land back in the, in the late thirties and early forties to the Boy Scouts. And then when he saw that they were doing a great job managing the land and offering these outdoor opportunities to youth, he donated another chunk of land. Like it ended up being almost 150,000 acres of land. And I think you see that here when you start learning about the history of the lands that you're on and the people that have donated it. Um, but I think the piece that I see coming now is a conversation about the people that were on these lands long before they were owned. And I have, I have so much learning to do in that space. Um, it, it's a little overwhelming to think and, and to acknowledge um, the, that the lands really are everyone's and that that's where they came from. They don't really belong to anybody. Um, so it, that land acknowledgement is really something that I've been paying more attention to as well. And I've got a ton to learn about it. I, I don't consider that I really know enough at all. Yeah. And I think that's something that a lot of us can take time to learn about. I know I can definitely learn more about that too. So, um, I also want to touch a little bit more on your Isle Royale trip. So going out solo, it sounds like you had like a family support system back home. Were you like checking in with them daily when you were out there? Were they super, super worried about you? How did that go? (laughs) Um, No, I wasn't checking in with them daily. And in retrospect, um, I wish I'd had my uh, Garmin before I did that. Um, Oh, so you didn't have any... No, I had my cell phone with me, but the interesting thing about Isle Royale is they tell you you're pretty much, if you get any service at all, it's going to be through Canada, and that's a big if, um, that you really are in a place where, um, unless you've got a satellite device, you're going to be out of communication. Um, so I knew that going into it, and and I... Um, as part of my being a event planner and then also coming from a family that, um, you know, believes in trip plans. Um, I had uh, established a trip plan for that um, adventure. Um, and I'd done a lot of research um, because like I said, I knew I was going to be out of um, communication for that trip. And why did you choose seven days? Um, because I decided that I wanted to hike the length of the island. Um, 
when I, I had decided I wanted to do it, I knew that the park was, um, the park is actually one of the least visited national parks in the national park system um, because it's so hard to get to. It's getting easier, but it's still, it's tough. Um, out of Minnesota, you go out of Grand Portage and it's like a two and a half ferry, two and a half hour ferry ride. Um, you can also do a float plane and then out of Michigan, which the park actually is, its address is Michigan. Um, there are ferries that run every day um, to the north end of the island. So I, I knew that, um, I knew that the length of the trails was about 45 miles and I figured that I could cover that in five to six days. Um, when they, when you're planning for Isle Royale, one of the things that anybody that you talk to um, will tell you, and it's good advice, including the National Park Service, is that you should have a buffer day, um, probably on both ends of your trip, because um, Lake Superior is a lake, but it behaves like an ocean. Oh, yeah. And if, yeah, because I know you've been up there too. And if you know um, anything about being on the ferries, and if you were to see the ferries, they're not to diminish the captains and the boats or anything like that, but they're glorified fishing boats coming out of Minnesota. They're a little nicer coming out of Michigan. And um, if the weather goes bad, you can um, not be able to get there or you can be stuck on the island. And there have been times um, that people have been stuck out on the island two or three days beyond when they thought they would be able to leave. And that's true for the float planes too. I mean, it's the weather plays a huge part in your ability to get there. So I, um, I knew I could probably do the hike in about five days because we'd done the Superior Hiking Trail um, segment that I'd done in, the, in that time and it was about the same distance. So I plan on seven days and um, the day that I went over um, was probably some of the worst conditions, like almost you probably shouldn't have gone kind of stuff. Um, but that was up to the ferry captain. I now know that the ferry captain that I got is the guy that will go out in the really, really, really bad weather. Like if I said his name to anybody that lives up on the North Shore, they're like, oh, oh, yeah. He'll go out when the weather's really bad. <laughs> the risk um, taker. <laughs> I, I never felt unsafe, but um, so it, it just, it takes a while to get there. It's like a two and a half hour ride over to Windigo, which is on the Southern end. And I had made the choice that I would actually go take the ferry to Rock Harbor, which is on the Michigan end on the North end. Um, and then hike southbound um, with the idea that the ferry would be my shortest um ride going home so that's why it was seven days um that first day I was gonna hike and we didn't get there until eight o'clock at night because of the weather oh, we wow. left we left Grand Portage at 9 30 in the morning and it it was a very very long day um we got to Windigo and dropped people off and and um got almost all the way to where they round the tip of the island because rock harbors on just around the tip of the island and um the captain got called back um because of the weather um there were six or eight foot swells and that part of 
the trip is the most dangerous is going around the northern tip of the island um, in bad weather. And so he decided that we would uh, go back to one of the ranger stations and hang out for a few hours to see if the weather would change. So one way or the other, we were not going to be getting there. So yeah, I lost, I lost my, I lost a day. Um, and then, you know, talking about, you know, communicating with family at that point, I was out of communication with my family. Um, they had my trip plan. They had, uh, they had instructions and my dad's a former military guy, so he's going to follow it. They had instructions. Like if I didn't check in, um, at a certain time on the date that I expected to be back to, um, to Minnesota, um, they were supposed to start the process of calling the park service and, and trying to find me. Um, and they had my itinerary and everything. So from that perspective of doing it solo, um, I really was, you know, I was out there, but the other thing that's interesting about Isle Royale from the solo perspective is I don't, you're not really ever out there completely on your own because there's only so many trails. It's a 47 mile by nine mile island. So at some point in time, you're going to run into people. How often would you say you were running into people? It seemed like fairly often based on what I've read. Yeah, I would say probably every, I don't know, somewhere between every two to every five hours, I would come across someone. Um, I was there in July, so the island's pretty, pretty busy at that time of the year. It, it just, it just really varies. I mean, there are side, there are definitely trails. I went down the center of the island on the Greenstone Ridge, um, which I think is, that's kind of the traversed. If you're going to just do it and go across the island, that's the, the most direct route. Um, some people will go and do some of the side um, trails that go out to like Macargo um, Bay and, and some of the other places. And I had specifically chosen not to do that because I knew it would add, it would add days to my trip. And I only had that window of time off from work. Um, but it was, it was kind of weird. Um, it was weird, but it was also really good to be out there and not have that communication and know that, um, not have the, not have that constant attention that, you know, like people looking for you and that kind of thing. I think for my family, um, my mom in particular, uh, really struggled with it. I mean, like she really struggled with the idea that I was going to be out there by myself. And I think even my son at the time, even though he was on his adventure, um, also really kind of struggled with that idea. Um, Sure, because just the summer before is when you were on the Boy Scout trip with him, is that um, right? It was two summers before that, yeah. Yeah. But on the flip side, I mean, that Christmas before I went to Isle Royale, he bought me the map I used for my trip. And he's like, if you're going to do this, you need a map. And this one's waterproof, which, thank God, because <laughs> it rained for <laughs> it rained for, the, for days. Um, <laughs> but... Um, he was really, he was awesome, but I think it was also a little scary because we were both in that situation where we were, we were not able to communicate with each other and we weren't able to communicate with other people via technology, I guess the, is the way I would put it. Um, 
so and I and I really wasn't worried about it. Again, it was it was all the worries that we kind of talked about with women hiking by themselves, you know, and would there be any bad actors out there and that kind of stuff? And I was like, I can't imagine anybody going to the effort and expense of getting to Isle Royale to, to <laughs> do something bad to somebody else. Exactly. I think you need to worry about a bear before that. <laughs> yeah. Or a moose. Definitely right. a moose. Well, I guess On not that, a bear since there's no bears yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. No, the, the worst things you had to worry about were moose. And when I was there, like all the female moose on the Island had had, calves like in the th- six weeks before I got there oh, so they're wow. like they're like yeah we have about 800 really protective mamas on the island right now so if you see one just turn around I was like oh that's great and the year I was there was um the two years before they reintroduced additional wolves <coughs> so there were only two wolves on the island at the time um, but there's foxes and so it was really more like you know, what, what little critter is going to steal my, um, my food. That was, when we were at Philmont, we called them mini bears. It's like chipmunks and mice and squirrels. Those are the things you got to worry about. Yeah. And did you have any critter issues at all? Um, I didn't personally. Um, but one of my first night was, I guess it was the second night on the Island. Um, I was in a shelter, with another group and um, we were getting ready to kind of put do lights out because it was raining. So you, you try to double up. The campground was totally full. It's raining and I happened to move my backpack and I had all my food in a, in a bear vault, um, which was probably a little overkill, but it's what I had. And I moved my backpack and a mouse went running across the floor. And I looked and the family that I was with had all of their food like spread out all over the floor. I mean, they had it in plastic bags and everything. And they're like, well, and I'm like, you guys might want to, do you have something to put that in? And they're like, well, there are no bears here. I'm like, no, there's a tiny little one (laughs) running around that's going to eat all your food in the middle of the night. Um, So that was, that was the only thing that really was an issue. I had one day where I had a squirrel that was, you could tell it was like, are you going to turn your back so I can steal, you know, (laughs) steal your food while you're not looking? Um, But I didn't have that. But um, the rangers had told us like the, the um, fox will um, steal boots and books and whatever else they can, because all of them are after the salts from the sweat. Um, and so like somebody had a library book stolen by a fox a few weeks before I was there, (laughs) like the fox ran off, somebody ran off, you know, another fox ran off with a boot, you know, so they're like, just make sure anything that's like sweaty that you don't just leave it sitting around because it might disappear. So you can't really hang up and air out your sweaty clothes at the end of the day. <laughs> well, you can't. Yeah, you can. I mean, you can do you can do a clothesline or you can put them, but you just need to kind of pay attention to what to your surroundings. Um, I think the boots that got stolen and the book that got stolen were probably like kind of, you know, late at night or somebody set it down and walked away. Um, I didn't ever see a fox, which was kind of I was kind of disappointed by that, but. It was, it was all good, you know, um, 
the other thing I think doing that by myself too, it allowed me in those situations where like the first two days it was raining and the campsites that I was at um, had shelters, the rule of thumb is like, if you've got, if you can squeeze another person in, you make room for them. So for me being by myself, I was able to squeeze in with people where as there were other people that had gotten off the ferry with me where it's like two or three people and it was harder for them to find somewhere to kind of drop into because there were more people. So that was the other thing that was really kind of, kind of cool about being on being solo is I had that flexibility and it was easy for me to say, I'm just going to take up like three feet of space. Yeah. That does make it nice. Mm -hmm. And then as far as like emotional struggles, when you're alone, I know like when my husband was out, when he was out backpacking the superior hiking trail by himself he had some really like rough emotional days just by Mm -hmm. himself he was like why am I out here and I know I read like something in your blog where you sat on a rock and you were just on the verge of tears after you slipped in a mud puddle like how did you overcome those emotional struggles (laughs) well the thing that was really interesting about the way I did it is in order to get home I had to keep going in my mind, I hadn't considered that there was any other option. Um, there are other ways. I mean, like the ferry stops around the, you can schedule the ferry to drop you off at various places around the island. It isn't scheduled unless somebody has scheduled it. Um, they don't stop unless they know they're going to be picking somebody up. But like you can, you can, if you can get cell service on the north side of the island and you can get, connected with the ferry, they, they can come places. Cause I knew that happened for a few people, um, that I had brought the, had ridden the ferry over with. Um, but it, it is really interesting in, in seeing how that dynamic works when you're, when you're by yourself and you don't really have a choice. Cause like that, that time that you mentioned, it was, I was four days in, and I was tired of the mud and, and it was a big, huge swath of mud and my boots had finally dried out <laughs> from the first <laughs> few days. And I stuck my trekking pole in to kind of, you know, test. I'm like, oh, that's kind of deep. And there was this big rock, but the angle was just, just not quite right. And I thought, well, I'm going to try it. And sure enough, I stepped on it. And because my boots were muddy my foot slipped out from underneath me and I went down hard and my pack, I overpacked. I mean, my pack was probably 40 pounds and oh, wow. yeah. And, and, um, and that was mostly because of that stupid amount of food I was carrying. Um, but I went down and I was in the water and I, I had this moment where I'm like, there would have been this guy that I'd seen and he was like, called him Mr. Surly because he just he was he was gruff and he didn't every time I talked to him he's like we he kept saying anytime I got anything out of him when I saw him on trail he's like well we're doing this and we're doing that but he was by himself I'm like okay are you just doing that because you know are you, are you by yourself or you got somebody with you or did something go wrong with your hiking partner or what yeah <laughs> and I remember sitting there thinking oh gosh I hope that guy comes by and and lifts me up and then I was like no, first of all, he wouldn't do it anyway. <laughs> and then I'm like, I have to get myself out of this. I have to do it. And, 
and it was this moment where I was like in that that I was sat there I cried I got it all out and then I was like there you can do this and so that was really the interesting thing about kind of the emotional stuff is and the psychological stuff is there comes a point where I think you realize you don't have a choice so you keep going and it's been interesting for me to carry that forward into my the rest of my life um, because I've done that. I've had times in my life where I didn't have a choice because of um, either circumstances I'd gotten myself into or things that had happened that impacted me where I didn't have a choice but to keep moving forward. And it was hard, but I think on, on trail, again, it's one of those where you don't have a choice to keep moving. Because if you don't, somebody may or may not come along and help you out. Um, and in the wild, depending on where you are, it can be really dangerous to not keep moving. So you just get up and you keep going. But I know it's hard. I, I've talked to, I had a friend that did part of the Superior Hiking Trail um, probably about four years ago. And he was going to do it in three weeks. And he um, started having problems the first week and ended up taking getting off trail and taking a week off and he didn't go back and he said part of the problem that he had is he was engaged and he was going to be getting married and he missed his fiance and he said up until then he'd done all kinds of segments on the superior hiking trail um, and doing the through hike was kind of his last, you know, big thing before he was going to get married and what he ultimately ultimately realized is that wasn't that wasn't meant to be, you know, but he had to go out and do it and find out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just kind of that it's your own mind out there. You just gotta, you either yeah. push through it or yeah. Some people just learn it's not the right time to be doing it. Yeah. Well, and I would say if you're not sure about solo backpacking, <laughs> don't take off, don't, don't do a big, gigantic trip like that I think it's better to do like a long weekend um, and test it out I had done enough hiking at that point in time by myself that I was okay with what was going on in my head I knew I knew the dialogue that would happen and I knew the challenge I, I maybe didn't know the specific challenges that I was going to have but I knew that I was okay in that space and not everybody is and that's okay too yeah, I think that's a really strong and important perspective to have because, yeah, I just think a lot of people think the idea of it is really, really awesome to go out there by yourself. But I've never personally like gone on like a backpacking trip myself. And I don't I don't know that I could. I've just I just I'm very hesitant to do that. And just hearing like it's not for everybody is really like nice and reassuring. <laughs> yeah, no, there's stuff. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think what I learned on that trip ultimately is that I, um, I, in that particular type of hiking, I would probably prefer to have somebody with me. Um, the challenges for the challenge for me is my, that first big trip, um, it was such a tight group. And I've always said this, I, those were 14 to 16 year old boys that were leading us. And I'm like, I would trust them with my life. And I said that back then. And I think that's the thing that is, um, 
I don't know if it's, I, I don't want to say it's the biggest challenge, but for me, it's the thing to wrap my head around is I want to, I, I like being with someone that, that can allow me to be in my own headspace for a while and doesn't need the constant um, dialogue. Um, I, I, I just had this conversation with a, another hiker and, and we talked about it. It's like there to find that person that kind of understands that need to be in your own space, but that you can still have that um, fellowship with on trail, I think is, is a really cool thing to find when you, when you find it. And I haven't found it since then. Um, I think that first experience was probably so magical, at least for me, that um, I'm going to compare everything to that, including my hiking partners, which is a, a pretty tall order to ask of people. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it was like your first big experience that got you into this whole amazing experience that you're doing now. Yeah. So I think yep. it's fair that you keep going back to compare it to to that experience yeah. with the Boy Scouts. Yeah, and I well, and I'm trying to. I'm also trying to um, open myself uh, to um, to the possibilities. Like you know, I did my road trip last year as a solo, but it was actually funny. I I knew that there was someone from Women Who Hike that was going to be kind of up in that same area, um, hiking and camping at the same time. And for whatever reason, I couldn't get whoever it was. I couldn't figure out who it was in the group and so I was at um I pulled into Lake Bemidji State Park and it was my just my day hike I was going to be going and camping somewhere else and I'm getting my boots on and getting my stuff together out of the car and I happened to turn and there was a woman with her dog walking past me and she had a women who hike sticker on her backpack and I so I called out to her and um and we discovered that we we both had at least touched base through the Facebook group. And she was trying to find the trail that I was going to be hiking on. I'm like, oh, well, I think it's over here. So we ended up hiking together, um, which was awesome. And um, she's got a, a, a little trailer that she let me, um, told me where she was camping. And before I left the camp. I was like, I got to go look at her trailer because that's like on my bucket list of things to get. And um, and we hiked together. And then the next day at the park that I'd gone to, we talked about, you know, my trip and my plan and everything. The next day I did the hiking club trail. And that was my my last day before I was heading home or my last hike before I was going home. And I got done with the hike and I was coming off the trail into the campground and there she was with her dog. So she was like, you know, you took, you know, you told me this one was pretty close. So I just thought I'd come over and hike here. And I'm like, oh, bummer. So this year um, with my week long trip, um, I reached out. There's like two or three ladies from the group that I've gotten to know. And I reached out to them and I'm like, FYI, here's my dates here's my itinerary because I've got it all booked out. And if you want to join me at any point during this, you're welcome to. And I think that would be awesome. Well, it turns out she's going to try to join me on the front end of the trip um, because I think there's like two of the state parks maybe that she hasn't been to because she's trying to do the same thing I am where she's trying to hike in all the state parks. She's a little farther ahead than I am. So that's going to be awesome. I think it'll be really cool. So I'm trying to open myself up to that experience and offering that 
that fellowship up to fellow hikers. I think that's really cool. And especially when you can find those people that you think you mesh really well with, mm-hmm. why not? Yeah. Well, that's been the great thing about the women who hike group and is I watch the women in the group um, start finding hiking partners. Because that's the one thing that I, I see over and over and over again, and it doesn't matter which one of the state groups it is. It's like, oh, I want to find people. You know, I don't have any friends that like hiking. I have friends that think I'm crazy for doing this. I don't know how to meet up with people. And I'm like, well, you just joined the group for it. You know, just put yourself out there and you're going to find somebody. And, totally. and it will be awesome. It's, it'll be fantastic. Yeah. One thing we haven't touched on is where did your um, blog name come from? Ruth's Blue Marble. (laughs) What's that Uh, about? So the long, the longer story is that name um, as a business of mine has been around for a while. Um, I came actually out of an arts background and then got into event planning. So it came along with the arts component of it. Um, But the idea behind the name was always about um, the blue marble being the earth, like being, um, this fantastic ball floating out in space that we all get to hang out on and the idea of exploring that. So that's really, um, ultimately where the name came from. Hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. And now I'm seeing at the very bottom, your blue marble books proprietor brings me to your yeah. Etsy page. So you <laughs> used did Which you I, to... used, I used to do that. I haven't anymore. And it's actually, that's, um, as my life has progressed, uh, I used to make handmade um, books and journals and sell those in addition to working a full-time job. I always have some side gig going. Um, that's how you and, keep life exciting. Yeah. And, and it allowed me the creativity and, and that sort of thing. Um, but it's a, it's a very time consuming thing. And I, um, I'm kind of at a crossroads with that particular part of my life because I have a pretty significant investment in the equipment and the materials, and I'm I'm trying to decide if I'm going to reboot that or if I'm going to um, put the equipment and materials up for sale. So to be determined on that one. Mm-hmm. Well, I like where the name came from. I really, I like that idea that you're just kind of, you know, people are floating around and we have this perspective and yeah, Yeah. that's really. Yeah. And we've got such a beautiful, we have such a beautiful planet. It's so remarkable. And, and it, 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 there's so many amazing things to explore. Um, So it, it's funny because the name came from one place, but it, it um, felt right. It just felt right for the blog um, and for the the way that I feel about what I'm what I'm writing about on the blog. Um, you know, I think the blog is really about trying to share my experiences because I find on on a lot of the hikes that I do with groups and in, and other people, and as I've gotten into it, even with my colleagues at work. Um, it's a way for me to share the stories around that. And I hope in doing that, that um, I, I don't know if normalize is the right word, but it feels like that I, I want to normalize the idea that um, being in the outdoors and being a woman in the outdoors, being an 
over 50 women in, in the outdoors is normal and it's, it's okay. And just because somebody doesn't want to do it, um, if my adventure inspires somebody else um, to follow a passion or to take a chance and to experiment in it, then, then I feel like I've, it's worth it. It, it's a lot of work. I mean, you know that from putting together a podcast, it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, uh, if it means something to somebody else and inspires them, then, then I feel like I've done what I hope to do in sharing the stories. Yeah. And you can tell in your writing, like, it's just so thought out and it's just your mind spilling out and it's just I really like reading it it's just, I'm very engaged when I read that stuff it makes me feel like I'm like I'm there <laughs> so it's, well, that's great to hear I, know, I, I really like I'm like it. am I shouting out into the void is there anybody out there but <laughs> it, it really has been interesting and I haven't been doing it for very long I haven't even been doing it for a year um, but the the slow growth is been really interesting to watch. And, and I think the, the big challenge for me getting started was kind of figuring out why I wanted to do it and then how I want to share it and, and being patient because I know it takes time to build that following and to get people interested and, and um, inspire them. It's, it's not a quick thing. But it has been interesting, the number of people that I know in various forms in my life and, all, you know, all of a sudden, um, out of the blue, they'll ask me about it. <laughs> I mean, I had, a, I had a college roommate I hadn't talked to in 20 or I haven't I hadn't seen in person. I shouldn't say I hadn't talked to her. We exchanged cards and stuff. Um, but as I started getting involved with women who hike and she was seeing me do that, um, she got involved and she started hiking and now she's like totally blowing past me <laughs> with, with what she's doing. It's awesome. But she's like, I saw you doing this and I was watching and it was really cool. And I've had a couple of people say that recently and I'm like, ah, oh, that's what it's about. That's, that's, I'm glad I'm inspiring you. That's really mm-hmm. cool. I love that. And I think it's just so important that there are, you, to know that there are people out there, when people are reaching out to you to say that they're inspired, that's only probably pushing you more to want to do mm-hmm. this, right? Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> well, it just, it, and it, it makes me feel like what I'm doing is valuable in some way. Um, so, you know, again, that's that, I don't want to be just, I don't want to be throwing stuff out into the void, having nobody listening to it, because that, you know, I can, there's a hundred things I could spend my time doing the time that I spend on the blog, I could be out hiking, mm-hmm. you know, um, but uh, it, it's, and it's a, a way to kind of capture that and, and share it. And especially um, with people that are really important to me. Um, you know, I know my dad reads it. I know my son reads it. So it's kind of fun to um, have them see those, those perspectives. And I think they learn a little bit about me as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really special way to like build a relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, so this has been super cool. I feel like I have, we've like touched on a ton. (laughs) (laughs) We have. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. This has been awesome. I feel like we could go on a hike now and be best friends. (laughs) Maybe, maybe, right? That's how it all happens. Right. Now we just have to figure out where. 
<laughs> exactly, exactly. The million of places we can go. Yeah. But is there anything else you want to add in? I just, I'm, I'm just so grateful. And, you know, the, I guess the other thing that I would add is that um, I would not, and I'm going to, I'm going to be a little sappy and I would not be doing what I'm doing right now if it were not for um, three men and a lady in my life. I have been so blessed with um, the relationship I have with um, Jen Tyson, who goes by Wandering Pine. Um, She's got her own blog, um, who co-ambassadors women who hike with me. Um, She's a fabulous friend and, and a great hiking buddy and an inspiration. Um, But even more so, um, I'm so grateful for the three men in my life who have um, been my quiet cheerleaders, my dad, my son, and my boyfriend. Um, I know they all worry about me when I'm out there, um, but they also, um, anytime anybody questions my whether or not I should be out in the out of doors by myself or anything like that, um, they stand right behind me. And in fact, my son said recently to someone when we were having a conversation about how it wasn't safe for me to be out there, he was like, oh, no, no, she knows what she's doing. And she's probably more prepared than any of the rest of us. And to have someone in your corner like that, um, who understands that it's a passion that feeds you and that is an advocate for you. I, I wouldn't be doing any of this without the three of them. So I'm eternally grateful for, for them. I love that. That's super awesome. How much they support this, what you're doing and that your son stood up for you and saying that that's, that's really powerful. It is. Yeah. I'm very, I'm a very lucky woman. So yeah, really neat. Well, thank you so much, Ruth, for sharing all this with us. This has been super, super awesome to talk with you. Thank you, Sarah. It's been fantastic to talk with you as well. And we have to set up some time to hike. Yes, it will happen. One of the most inspiring pieces of Ruth's story, I think, is that her whole backpacking journey started with her son's Boy Scout trip, which leaped into leading women's hikes and leaped into going solo backpacking at Isle Royale. And I think that's such an awesome way that she got into her journey. And it's also really cool how age is not a factor. I mean, she got into it and she's she was just going for it. And I just love her story for that reason. I think that you can kind of take away too is she really wanted to educate herself on developing the skills and pack for these trips and you know before she went out on that first big boy scout backpacking trip she said they did like nine months of prep work so she put in the time to to get her body I guess adjusted to what a backpacking trip would be like so yeah just keep that in mind too I think is the more that you educate yourself and work on your skills you know the easier the activity will become and the more enjoyable you'll find it out in the wilderness 
I think it was also neat how she said that, um, I think you had mentioned, Sarah, that you don't think you could ever do a solo trip. Yeah, it's something I've always been a little wary of. So I look up to people who can do things like that. And I really can relate to what Ruth said about why why she finds a solo trip enjoyable and how you know it's not for everyone you have to be in that right mindset of being able to be within your own thoughts and your own mind and comfortable with that for extended periods of time and i i can really relate to that especially when i was doing my through hike and i wasn't hesitant to go out and do it solo because I knew that I was comfortable just kind of in my own mind like naturally that's how I am I'm I'm an analytical person so I'm always kind of more deeper in my thoughts and kind of sitting back observing taking things in and so that's I found myself doing that a lot on the trail is you know not necessarily worrying about you know when I'm going to get to my campsite, although there were days where it was rainy and kind of sucked and I wanted to get there quicker, but like just being able to walk down the trail and kind of like just take it all in and focus your thoughts on something else other than when am I going to be done type type of mentality. Yeah. And I like having people to bounce ideas off of and get motivation. So it's different for everyone. But we hope that your uh, listening to Ruth's podcast and our interview with her gave you some inspiration for getting out on the trail, maybe solo or through Woman Through Hike. Hopefully it kind of breaks down some of those stereotypes. I mean, she mentioned how people would approach her and say, you know, you shouldn't be out there alone as a woman on the trail. It's dangerous. Yet, she's proof that women can be out there solo and have a great time and not really be in any danger, or at least the danger that people speculate is out there. Absolutely. She said she feels safer out there than anywhere else, and I think a lot of women who go out on the trails can align with that when they hike solo, from what I've heard and read from other women. So, oh, and next time you guys get out, walking or hiking don't forget to bring a garbage bag and start picking up trash she was a huge inspiration for that as well yeah we tend to have a lot of extra bags we just don't always take the time to stop and pick up that piece of trash so that's something that we can work on too as ambassadors to this earth that we wander it's easy for everyone to do so let's all make a difference and start doing it Yeah, so if you want to check out more about Ruth, go head on over to her website and blog, ruthsbluemarble.com. And if you're a woman who wants to get more involved in the hiking community or wants to get started in the hiking community or just wants some company out on the trail, go check out womenwhohike.com and check out all of the uh, Facebook groups too that Ruth had mentioned. It sounded like there's a chapter for every state so it sounds like there's a page i guess for all of those as well so we'll have links to ruthsbluemarble.com as well as womenwhohike.com in the description of this episode so go check it out 
Thanks for listening. Get your hike on. We love sharing these stories with you through the Hiking Through Life podcast, and we're so grateful that you listen to this podcast. If you'd like to support the Hiking Through Life podcast further, we have these amazing new t-shirts and water bottles. The t-shirts come in four colors, and the water bottles are perfect for trails, adventuring, or daily use. Consider checking them out at hikingthroughlife.net slash shop. Use the code podcast and receive 10% off your first order. You've been listening to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Peace, love, and hike through life.